I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I wrote a book entitled, You Can Be a Winner in the Invisible War. It's the power of binding and loosing. There's a lot in that book, and we've even made it into a life group series. But I want to deal with what Jesus has to say in this passage, starting in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 19. Let's read the word of the Lord together. I'm reading from the New King James Version. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter had answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you want. On earth will be what? In heaven. Whatever you on earth will be in heaven. Now turn with me to Matthew 18. And I want you to take a look at verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear him, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you on earth will be in heaven. Whatever you on earth will be in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, where for two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Spirit of the living God, I'm asking you tonight to come in power. I'm asking you, Lord, to manifest your power here tonight. Come on, people, let's just pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. Father, I thank you for the privilege you've given me to share that which you put in my heart so long ago with this great congregation. May there be an impartation tonight and lives will be changed. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was working on a doctorate at Fuller Theological Seminary. I thought at one time in my life I was to be a professor on a college campus. And what happened was I went and did a master's degree in ancient history at the University of Southern California on my way for a PhD because God had used me on the college secular campus. And I felt like I'd like to be on the inside sharing the gospel. But when I finished the master's, God said, I didn't call you to be a professor. I called you to be a pastor. So I went and did another master's degree at one of the leading graduate schools in the nation and a doctorate there. And while I was doing this doctorate, I asked the Lord, what is it you want me to write this dissertation on? And the Lord challenged me with an unusual verse of scripture. It was found in Daniel 10. You know the scripture where Daniel's fasting for 21 days. And then all of a sudden an angel appears. And this angel said, I was sent to you the moment you began to fast because Daniel was wanting a revelation of a vision. He wanted to know what the vision he got meant. And this angel said something very strange. The angel said, I was sent to you, but the prince of Persia hindered me. The prince of Persia resisted me for 21 days. I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Who in the world is this prince of Persia? Because you remember during King Hezekiah's reign, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. So whoever this prince of Persia was, it wasn't a human being. It was probably of like nature, a fallen angel. But he controlled a nation. He was a principality. Paul talks about it in Ephesians where he says, We battle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. And he goes on, he gives a, he gives a hierarchical structure of the demonic world. Well, when I saw that, I said, oh, wait a minute. How do we deal with this kind of stuff? Because it's stuff you don't see in the natural. Anytime Jesus says something once, you probably ought to know what he's saying. But when he says something twice in two different contexts, you probably ought to circle it, put a star on it, and say, if I'm going to learn anything, I'm going to learn about that. And that's what happened to me as I was studying this passage where Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Came strongly to me. I said, I'm going to find out what that means. So any scholar does the same thing. They look up what everybody thinks it means. And I did the same. And I found out nobody knew what it meant. They all contradicted themselves. Until I came across a fascinating article. And the article's premise was this. When Jesus said those words in the first century, what did the people of the first century think he said? Now that's an issue of language. For example, we who live here in Hawaii, we know when somebody comes up to us and says, you go come stay in my house. They're talking pigeon. What they're saying, come over and visit me. We'll have, we'll have time together. But if you're from the mainland and somebody says that, you go, huh? <laughs> now, the point is, when Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, there was a language phraseology that was common in the day. Well, how do you find that out? Well, you look at the literature that formed the language of the first century. So what he did is he looked at the intertestamental literature. Many of you know that between the time of the writing of the book of Malachi and the writing of the book of Matthew, there were a lot of Jewish books written. They're called the intertestamental period. And he looked at that, and guess what he found? He found the phrase binding and loosing throughout that entire literature. And here's what it meant. Are you ready? It meant binding demon spirits and loosing them. Or it meant binding demon spirits and loosing their victims. Let's say the second one. Binding demon spirits and their victims. Now, when you come to the New Testament, guess what? Both of those definitions are in the New Testament. For example, in Revelation chapter 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years and loosed for a season. You'll notice, for example, in Matthew 3, excuse me, Mark 3 and Matthew 12, Satan is, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of like a parable that Satan is bound and the, his victims are loosed. The strong man, he calls him. The strong man is bound and his house is plundered or his stuff is taken. That stuff is us. We're free. But one of the most unusual verses where this phraseology of binding and loosing is found in Luke chapter 13, verse 16. Now listen. Jesus is in the synagogue. There's a woman who needs healing. And he says then should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath day? The exact phraseology. You say, well, pastor, whoa. How does this work? Well, let's stop for a moment. Are you with me here? Yes. Let's suppose Jesus comes through those doors, walks right here, and looks at you points his finger at you and says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. He's making some assumptions. One of the assumptions he's making is that you have the power to bind and loose. It'd be pretty ridiculous for Jesus to say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If you don't got any power to do that. Now let me ask you a question. If you have power, but you don't know you have power, do you have power? Uh, is this a trick question? Well, in essence, you do, but if you don't know it, you're not going to use it, so you don't. 
Now think about that for a moment. Because then all of a sudden it makes sense to you that in the New Testament, one of the things that's affirmed over and over again <clears throat> is the authority of the believer. <clears throat> you say, why is that? Because the devil wants to make you think you don't have power. If you've ever tried to cast demons out of people, you'll notice one thing about demons. They're not going to necessarily come out the moment you say, in Jesus' name, come out. They'll stand there and look at you. You say, wait a minute, hold it. You're ruining my theology. You know what that demon's doing? He is finding out whether you honestly believe you have power or not. And if this is just a little game, he's staying. Smile at me, I'm helping you. So the first thing you'll notice, the first assumption is that we have authority. Turn to your neighbor and say, we have authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, behold, I, he, he says here, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he says, go and make disciples. His assumption is, I have all authority. I give it to you. Go get the job done. You'll notice in Revelation 12, 11, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we love not our lives even to the death. You'll notice, for example, oh, I love it. I love it. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. I could go on and on and on. You know how Paul prays? There's two marvelous prayers in the book of Ephesians. You know what he prays for? That they would know the power of God. You say, Pastor, that's, that's wild. Why is that? It's because we have a battle in our mind. The enemy doesn't want you to know what authority you have so you don't use it. How many of you have children here? Let me see your hand. Now, let me, let, me, let me suggest something to you. Have you ever had a child raised in your home where they never said no? <laughs> Did you know a child automatically learns to say no? They're rebellious from the beginning. Now, 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 now here's, it's very fascinating because uh, how do you shape the will of that child? Now, let me tell you what would happen in my home. I'd be sitting in my comfortable, lazy boy, and I'd ask my child, one of my children, to come, and they'd stand and go, no, that was not the right answer. <laughs> so I had a plan. I'd count. I'd start counting. One, two, and they knew instinctively, the moment I said three, a, a cannonball, Dr. Morocco, would be shot out of, that, out of that chair. And they would get something they weren't wanting to get. They knew it. So they'd wait till two and a half. Now, what's the point? Perseverance declares that you have authority. Listen, I've read gobs of church growth books. That was part of my world. And there was a church growth book, probably the worst one ever written. And pastors read it. And here was the premise of this church book, growth book. The guy said, look, if something isn't working, it's probably not God, so just kill it. Well... People started reading it, and they started killing this and killing that. Pretty soon, they didn't have a church. And that happened to the guy who wrote the book. He lost his church. What they left out was sometimes the enemy attacks the very thing he's nervous about, and you've got to persevere and get through it. Somebody say amen. Because perseverance is faith. And you cannot please God without faith. That's where authority flows, through faith. Are you still with me? Faith releases the authority. Wow. 
Well, that brings me to the second part. So everybody say it with me. I have authority. There's a second thing, and it's, there's a, I like to think that people, I like to make people think I know something. So once in a while, I'll use a big college word. There's a symbiotic relationship between heaven and earth. You say, what does that mean? Who knows? It just sounds good. So listen to what he says. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound Whatever you loose on will be loosed in heaven. He says the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in heaven. Now, what in the world is this relationship between heaven and earth? Here's what God is saying to us. You are important to God. Whatever God's going to do on planet earth, he has to find somebody to work through. You say, well, why can't he just do whatever he wants? Because he's a God of justice. You see, he gave Adam and Eve dominion over this planet. They gave it to Satan. Satan is legitimately the prince and power of the air. Jesus even described him as such. So how does a just God work in a world that belongs to Satan? Even though God created the world. He has to find people that are committed to doing his will and pray that will into existence. And then he then has the right to flow. Are are you hearing me? So God needs to have a people that have this relationship with heaven, that hear heaven's voice and begins to obey down here. And God then begins to work. Think about it for a moment. Think about this. Cornelius. All right, Cornelius. He gets a visitation by an angel, right? And the angel says, go over and get Peter, who's over in Joppa. He's got a message for you. Now stop for a moment. Why didn't that angel tell him the gospel? It wasn't the angel's job. It's our job. Now think how how the other angels must have thought when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into glory and they looked at this, this group, motley group of disciples and they said, is that it? He's given them a commission to tell the whole world, that's it. That's it. That's weird. But that's what God did. He has chosen to have heaven flow through people. You see, we've been affected by a song. When I was growing up, one of the most popular songs was a song. Some of you probably don't even know it. You're a different generation. But it went like this. Whatever will be, will be. Anybody know that song? It was a dumb song when it was written. It's a dumb song today. But did you know it shaped the thought of the church? Well... Whatever God wants to do, he can do it. God's not the problem. God wants to do a lot of things. He wants an entire city saved. In order for this city to be saved, he's got to find the people that are bold enough to share the gospel. Taking steps of faith. But we're just, well, que sera, sera. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loosed. So say it to your neighbor. I'm important to God. Then tell them you're important to God. Now this became very real to me in a very unusual set of circumstances. 42 years ago, I moved to Maui, but prior to that, I was pastoring uh, a part of the pastoral team of one of the largest churches in the state, First Assembly in Honolulu. I'd worked with a man by the name of Roy Sapp in California for five years, and we came out to Honolulu together as a team, and we took a church of about 300. It exploded. 
as God said it would when he spoke to us to come. And uh, when I was there, there was a bag lady that would come to church. I don't know if you know if there's any bag ladies in Kona, but there are individuals who take a grocery cart and they, they take bags of garbage, put it in the grocery cart, and that becomes their stuff. And I was standing at the back greeting the people as they were leaving, and this particular lady said to me, Pastor, do you like my new dress? Well, I'm sure she pulled it out of a trash can somewhere, but I, I always treat people with dignity. And so I, I commended her. But then I found out she had no place to live. She was sleeping outside in Alamoana Park, and my heart went out to her. And so my wife and I decided, we're going to find her an apartment. This is Hawaii. Apartments are very expensive, especially Honolulu. Now, this was 40, 44, 43 years ago, but still. And we're pastors. We're not business people. And so I got a few others to help me, but we, I'll never forget the day we moved her into her apartment. She insisted on bringing all of her bags of groceries with you know, not groceries, but garbage with her. And I thought I had this brilliant idea. Let's sort through this and pick out what's good and leave what's bad, throw it away. It was a bad idea. <laughs> you can't imagine what was in those bags. If I began to tell you, you wouldn't hear a word I said, you'd be grossed out for the rest of the night. My wife had nightmares for three nights. That's how bad it was. We got her into her apartment, and we were there for uh, oh, a number of months, and then God moved us to Maui. When I got to Maui about a year or more later, I got a call from Pastor Sapp. He said, uh, do you remember that lady you helped got her into an apartment? I said, yeah, how's she doing? He said, well, she was hit by a car and died. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, but I thought I ought to call you. I just got a call from her trust fund. I said, her what? Her trust fund. Come to find out, she was a wealthy woman. She had more money than I had, and I rented her an apartment. How many have ever been had like that? Oh, I hung up the phone. I was mad. And God spoke to me. He said, you're just like that bag woman. I said, excuse me. He said, I've washed you in my blood. I've given you the power of my name. I've filled you with my spirit. And you act like a bag woman most of the time. That'll preach. We can go home right now. <laughs> Somebody say with me, I have authority. I have authority. And I'm important, to God. I'm important to God. Well, that brings me then to say, well, pastor, how do we bind and loose? Well, I'll tell you the next time I come. <laughs> no, I'll tell you tonight. I want you to write it down because it'll change your life. I put it all into P's to make it easy for you to remember. And there's seven of them. And they all come out of the context of this particular passage. So I want you to look at it first. Take a look in Matthew chapter 16 for a moment. Jesus is asked a question, who do men say that I am? There's different responses. And finally, Peter pops up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as a response of that statement, Jesus makes it very clear. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against him. And then I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosened. That's tied to his statement. Well, what was it that Peter said? He proclaimed the gospel. That's the gospel. God has visited our planet in the person of his son. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Are you still with me here? I want everybody to say proclamation. You know, I've often thought that witnessing is just a job that we have. We're supposed to do it. But then the Lord revealed to me, it's the means of binding and loosing. Paul wrote it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the... Power. Come on, say it. It is the... Power. Say it like you mean it. It is the... Power, power of God. 
We kind of play church once in a while if we really feel like, oh, I guess I better witness. But if you begin to realize the moment you start to witness, whether it's a testimony, whether it's a sh engaging with somebody, believing that God will open a door for you to share the gospel, you are literally binding demons. I teach this to my entire staff. How many of you have ever felt like you were getting beat up by the devil? Come on, be honest with me. How many would want to <clears throat> hit him one? It's pretty hard to do when he's invisible. I was asked to preach at a very large church in Northern California years ago. I was going to preach two services in the morning. It's one of the larger, largest churches in, in that part of California. And I was going to preach at night. I got to my hotel room on a Saturday night, and I, I couldn't think couldn't pray it seemed like a demon was sitting on my head now what do you do with that I thought you know if the devil's gonna give me a hard time I'm gonna give him a hard time so I got out of that hotel room I went down to the lobby and I said I'm gonna find somebody to witness to well there was only there was a lady in the restaurant she was behind the bar so I went up to the bar ordered a soda and inside I said ah oh, this is your blessed day and I shared the gospel with her and led her to the Lord. Well, I tell you what, we had church the next day. So I've taught this. I've taught this to all my staff. If you're having problems, go find somebody to witness to. So one of my staff members, we don't have big crowds in Maui. The only place where there's any crowds is at the airport. So one of my pastors, he was really having a rough day. And he remembered what Dr. Morocco said. So he gets in his car. He drives to the airport, parks his car, and he sees this man walking. So he runs after him. Well, the guy thinks he's going to get mugged, so he starts running away. <laughs> well, he caught up to him, shared the gospel. He didn't get saved, but boy, that pastor was on fire. <laughs> Somebody say proclamation. proclamation. The Lord's, you know, here's the interesting thing. The devil's not as nervous about what happens here. It's when you go out of here tomorrow morning is when he gets real nervous. When you're going to witness to somebody at your job or in your school or your neighbor. We've been knocking on doors on Maui. You've been doing it here, I'm sure. That's powerful. You say, well, what about the dogs? They bite. People slam doors in your face. Yeah, they do all that. Yeah. But I'm giving the devil a hard time. Are you hearing me? Everybody say proclamation. The second P... When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he was exclaiming a statement of praise. Wow. The Lord has come. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, praise is more than a warm-up to the message. You see, what happens when you come into this place. Now, I've, I've noted, you know, I've been a pastor now for over 50 years. And I've watched congregation. There's some people are just, hurry up, get the song over. Or, please, don't sing a fast song. I don't feel like it. And, and, and you know, you look at their faces and you want to just go up and slap them. That's all you want to do, you just want to slap them. Because they're not involved. They don't understand the power of praise. If you only understood the power of praise, the moment that song began to sing, you would begin to sing, and not just some kind of, well, okay, I'll have to sing. You would sing. You would enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You see, in the Old Testament, you'll notice the story of Jehoshaphat. He was fighting a battle he couldn't win. Three armies were against him. But God spoke to him to do a certain thing, and one of the things he had to do was to stand and praise the Lord. He did and God fought the battle. In the New Testament, you see the same thing. Paul and Silas are in jail. Now, you know, I, they're being beaten for doing something good for a slave girl. They cast the demon out of her and they're getting, they got beaten unjustly. They're thrown in prison. They're in the stocks in the middle of the night. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that's time to resign the ministry. You have pastors that resign for less than that. Somebody offended them. Well, I can't stay. I got offended. 
Oh, shut your mouth. You haven't shed any blood yet. What's your problem? That's the line in Kings. You haven't shed any blood yet. So here they are. They're praising God. They start singing a duet and God made it a trio and shook the place. Praise changes things. Think about it for a moment. You come home and you didn't take out the garbage and your wife's upset with you and you start getting mad. Why don't you stop for a moment? Just start praising Jesus. Hallelujah. Whoa, I got a beautiful wife. Wow. She's helping me to be more diligent. Yay. And you start praising God. Can you imagine what would you You're at the job and the boss is really ridiculing you. And you start praising the Lord and say, oh, you're such a wonderful boss. Oh, I'm a prayer blessing on you. You're, you get a flat tire on the highway, and instead of kicking the tire and getting all upset, you have a Holy Ghost knockdown drag out right there on the highway. I've been flying to Korea and back, and so I got a little runny nose. So excuse me a moment. I'm going to bless this handkerchief. Thank you. Sorry about that. But it's better than having snot flow out of my mouth. My um, Listen, we're all human beings here. <laughs> Is it all right? Nothing's, nothing's out there. <laughs> One of my pastors this morning had a booger on his, on his beard. I said, you got a booger on your beard. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those guys that everything's got to be real proper, you know. I had a great friend, his name was Sam Sasser. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But years ago, God used him to literally open the Marshall Islands to one of the great revivals. You know, Pastor Sal knows about him, Pentecostal move. But he visited the islands of the Pacific and he came to the island of Yap. Sam was young then, he played football in college. He was a big man and he's gone home to be with the Lord a number of years ago. But he told me this story. He came to the island of Yat and he came to a village that was under the power of a man by the name of Chief Dupoy. He had tattoos from head to foot. And he came and he said to Chief Dupoy, he said, can I, can I tell your people about my God? And the chief said, I'll let you do it, but you gotta pass some tests. So they had a number of wrestling matches and Sam won. So after the last wrestling match, he said, now can I tell your people about my God? He said, no, there's one more test. At that, the men of the, the tribe got into a circle and they began to clap in rhythm and chant. And two young ladies outside of the circle ran to the center of the circle and began to dance. And they were levitated 10 feet high in the air and they were dancing 10 feet high in the air. And the chief turned to him and said, can your God do that? And Sam said, I'm impressed. He said, but my God's not into that. My God can bring them down. <laughs> Chief said, no, he can't. The test was on. Yeah, I don't know what you would have done if you'd been there, but you know what Sam did? He left the circle, went to a field right next to the village, and all he did was lift his hands and begin to praise the Lord. And as he began to worship the Lord, bang! Those two girls fell to the ground. One of them broke her leg, and she, he ran to the center of the circle, prayed for a healing for that girl. And the chief turned to him and said, you can tell my people about your God. There's power in praise, friend. You should lift the roof off when you praise. It should be a part of your life. I go on for hours about it, but your pastor can share on that just as good as me. That brings me to the third P. Are you still with me? What was the first? What's the second? What's the third? You say, well, you haven't told us yet. It's promises. When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he was declaring the fulfillment 
of a promise God had given from the Old Testament that Messiah would come. My mom was a great woman of God, so was my dad. You may not know a lot about me. I was born in Calcutta, India. My parents were missionaries there, started the great Calcutta Revival Center, started a Bengali work. My dad knew seven languages and preached in them. And I know one, English, and I speak in tongues, praise God. But mom had a promise box. I don't know if you've ever seen those things. They're promises, you know, and they're in a box. You pull one out every day and you make that your promise for the day. You know, and when you're growing up, you think, oh, that's cute. But, but I'll tell you what, those promises of God are heavy duty. You get a promise from God, you can take that baby to the bank. And you can war with a promise, whether it be a prophetic word or a, a verse out of the scripture that God's given you. Let me tell you what happened to me. When we were building the cathedral, this was back in the early 90s. Every demon in hell tried to stop that cathedral being built. That's why you have to pray very hard for this renovation to happen. The enemy doesn't want this church to touch this island. And we had four lawsuits against us, and we ran out of money building the cathedral. Now, if you run, you're building a massive building. It's the largest church building in the state. You run out of money, you're in trouble. There's nobody's going to touch you. No bank will touch you. No contractor will touch you. Because they don't want the problems that may come taking over a job. And not only that, we had lawsuits. I had a, we had a football team, a, a kid got hurt at football practice, the parents were suing us, a steel worker fell from the roof and state was suing us, and I mean, on and on and on. Now, if you have four lawsuits and you run out of money, you better get a word from God. Well, I'm glad you're so excited. I said, you better get a word from God. And God gave me a word. Oh my, what a word. And it will come to pass in that day that the burden will be lifted from off your shoulders and the yoke from off your neck and the yoke will be destroyed by the anointing oil. Every morning at early morning prayer meeting, I prayed, God, break off the yoke. I preached a whole series on breaking the yoke. Did you know during that time, a number of things happened. First off, a bank came and refinanced that project. We were able to finish the building. Secondly, those lawsuits were all settled. Two of them came in dreams in the night to me. God speaks to me in dreams. One dream was, God said, now, when you get up tomorrow morning, here's what I want you to do. Ding, 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 ding. I did exactly what he said. That lawsuit went away. Then the most unusual one was this lawsuit about a person who was suing us. And uh, we had a lawyer, he was an insurance lawyer, but he apparently didn't know what he was doing or wasn't real familiar with this kind of a case. And the thing was going on month after month and it didn't look good. In the middle of the night, God gives me the name of a lawyer I had never met. So the next morning, I look at, that was the days of the yellow pages. I looked in the yellow pages and there was his name. I call him on the phone. And I said, you know, I'd like to hire you. We have this lawsuit against us. I'd like to hire you. He said, well, he, says, he said, that's not the kind of lawyer I am. I'm the lawyer you hire if you want to sue somebody, not defend yourself. And then there was silence. And then he said these words. I'll never forget it. He said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'll take your case. He walked into the courtroom. He knew the judge. He knew the people suing us. He knew the law. 30 minutes, something that went on for months, was over. You get a word from God, you take that baby to the bank. That's why I get angry when people don't tithe. They need to have somebody slap them upside the head. Because God says, if you obey me in the tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. That's a word from God. He said, if you're sick, have hands laid on you. I'm sick at times. I have people lay hands on me. Well, you're the pastor. It don't matter. I pray for people even when I'm sick because I'm not the healer. Jesus is. 
There are promises in the word. You take those things to the bank. Everybody say promises. promises. That brings me to the fourth thing. You still with me? Yes. Turn to with me to chapter 18. There you'll notice he begins that if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he doesn't repent, then go with two or three. If he doesn't repent, bring it to the church. And then he says these unusual words. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosened. You say, what in the world does that mean? Given that context. Ah, Here's the fourth P. Are you still with me? Yes. Purity. Everybody say purity. purity. We got people trying to bind demons and they're full of demons themselves. Come on, give me a break. We've had evangelists fall, pastors fall because they've gotten sloppy and they've allowed demon powers to control their minds with lies. They get into pornography and all the other nonsense. And their minds begin to get distorted. And they think, well, I ain't hurting anybody. Stop it already. If you jumped into a sewer, after a while you wouldn't smell yourself. That's because God had mercy on all of us. You can't smell the stuff after a while. Your, your, your nose doesn't smell you anymore. But everybody else does. You walk into this place, you will cause a stampede out of here. You go, well, what's wrong? When you get into pornography and you get into these evil things that are so prevalent among us, you are allowing demons to control your brain. I know what I'm talking about. I wrote a book called Defiled. Everybody should read that thing. It was a revelation from God for this generation. You got to walk in purity. And if you haven't been, repent. Be open about it. Be transparent. Get with your pastors and say, hey, I've got this problem. They'll slap you upside the head and pray for you. Amen. I'm, I, this is not a game, guys. And if the enemy can bind you, he throws you out of the ability to be able to bind him. How many people have lost their faith because a high-profile a high evangelist or pastor fell? You'd be a guardian of your soul. Please, please, please. Everybody say purity. purity. That brings me then to the fifth P. Are you still with me? Yes. What's the first one? Proclamation. What's the second one? Grace. What's the third one? Promises. What's the fourth one? Purity. Ah, here's the fifth one. Listen to what it says. He says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Then he goes on. Again, I say to you that if two of you on earth agree concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now stop for a moment. He's talking about prayer. When I was a young man, my dad wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible these words. If a minister of the gospel doesn't pray two hours a day, he's not worth a dime. Well, I was worth about a penny. I prayed three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can tell by my anatomy I didn't pray long. But when I read those words, I was in college. I said, if there's anything I'm going to do, I'm going to do that. So now for almost 50 years, that's always been my intention. I thought I was doing well till I went to Korea. I just came back from Korea. I preached at the church growth conference. I've been on Dr. Cho's church growth board. He just went home to be with the Lord last year. For 38 years with some of the leading pastors of the world. I mean, you know, that church had a million people. Give me a break. I preached at Olympic Stadium with 100,000 people and on and on, all the churches in his. I mean, it's huge. In fact, one year, I was one of the speakers, and they had this banner that went from the top of the church. I mean, we're talking 100, 200 feet with my picture on it, and my son, Josh, was there. He says, hey, Dad, ask him if you can take the banner home. <laughs> I said, no way, man. <laughs> Great honor. They've been so kind. But the thing that happened to me when I first went there, my wife and I were sitting up in the third balcony. It's about 15,000 in that building, and then they had 15,000 in other subsequent uh, rooms in that building. And they have a portion in their church 
where it's called a concert of prayer. Jeremy talked about the bell. That's when the bell's rung because everybody stands to their feet. They lift their hands. They begin to pray. And it's like the sound of many waters that's talked about in the book of Revelation. My wife and I were dumbfounded. And then they'd go on. If they, if they didn't ring the bell, they'd go on for hours. They ring the bell, church goes on. So I bought the bell. I've only got to ring it twice in all my years. You have to ring bells to wake people up in America. You know that, don't you? But it stirred me. My dad joined my staff in 1984. And he began the early morning prayer meeting. He lived for two years. He's buried on Maui. But that prayer meeting's gone unstopped now for 38 years. And every extension has early morning prayer. It's not an option. It's the only reason we're still alive. Some of the great churches in America do not exist today. You know why? They had no ongoing opportunity for the people to pray together. When we pray together, There's a power that's released that's greater than you know. And the enemy knows that. That's why he tries to stop united prayer. It's not going to stop in kings. Everybody say prayer. You make it a pattern of your life. I thought I was doing good when I went to Korea. I was being driven in by, you know, their staff. I, I don't remember where I was going, but I'm sitting in the back seat just minding my own business. And one of the staff turns around and says, how many hours a day do you pray? <laughs> Only in Korea would they ask you that. <laughs> and I was ready. I said, two. Boy, did I feel good. And there was silence. Finally, one of the staff said, you can't even be on Dr. Cho's staff unless you pray three hours a day. <laughs> Give me a break. I've been with Cho. We were in Chile, and it was a, meetings weren't going well. He turns to me and says, I'm going to pray five hours a day. Because he believed that demonic powers control areas, and when you pray, you break through. Amen. You break through. The stupidity of the church is we don't pray in the realm of the spirit where we have to battle against the powers of darkness. We pray our little measly prayer and think everything's okay because we prayed. But there's sometimes you have to battle. He prayed five hours that day. Some places it's not a big deal. The power of the enemy is not as strong. Some places you have to battle. You need to battle here. You understand something. In just a very short time, this church has become the largest church in Kona. Yeah. And in a short time, it will impact the entire island. You think the devil wants that to happen? I don't think so. But there's going to be some people that will pray through. Yes. Any candidates? Wave at me, wave at me, wave at me, wave at me. That brings me to the sixth P. Are you still with me? We're almost done. Yay! He says, where two or three come together in my name, there am I in the midst. But where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The sixth P is personal. Everybody say personal. Where two or three gather together in my name. We have life groups or cell groups is what we call them. Why? because there are opportunities for two, three, four, five to gather together and minister to one another. Did you know that we bind demons by bringing healing to others? The Bible says we are to encourage one another daily as long as it's today because we're all affected by sin's deceitfulness. The Bible says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
You say, well, that's the pastor's job. Are you giving? Give me a break. He has a limited amount of time. He's going to try to bless as many as he can. It's not his job. It's a part of his job. It's your job to minister one to another. Did you know that there are folks that bring healing and deliverance every day by just their conversation and prayer? I tell you testimony after testimony of the grace of God where people say, hey, it's my job to help. Everybody say personal. And when somebody comes into this building, please. You know, there are churches where somebody comes in new for the first time and they sit in your seat. <sighs> somebody will say, that's my seat. The guy will say, well, I don't see your name on it. He says, stand up. You see those indentations? That's mine. <laughs> oh, my parking place? That's my parking place. How could you take my parking place? Everybody's walking in here looking for something. They want to know, do these folks really love me? Do they see me as significant? You know, we tend to do this. We tend to talk to the folk we know. Why don't you mess it up one day and talk to people you don't know and let the love of Jesus flow through you so that no one feels they're alone. That brings me to the final thing. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. The last P is presence. Everybody say presence. When I was born... I was born in a house in Calcutta, India. My mom had two Pentecostal midwives helping to get me into the world. And when I was born, they were praying in tongues. Now, you can't get any more Pentecostal than that. I've been in a Pentecostal church my whole life. I've seen sister so-and-so get so excited, runs into the wall, gets knocked out. It's awesome. I've seen, I've seen Brother Sones. I mean, this is the absolute truth. Brother Sones, the same time, same station, every service. Same tongue, same tongues, and same interpretation. Every service. You could, you could mark your clock by it. You say, that's, that's silly. Listen, listen, hello. I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. We got churches that are so dead, people will die and you don't even know they're dead. It's, it's, it's horrible. That will not be this church. You'll be on fire. Well, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost when I was a senior in high school. So I began to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But something happened in 1995. We had a visitation of the power of God in a way that I'd never experienced in my life. Brother Rodney Howard Brown came to Maui had a week of meetings. All the major revivals that happened in the U.S. came through his ministry. Toronto, Pensacola, you name it, it all came out of his ministry. You may not know that, but it's the truth. A young South African guy who God said, I'm sending you to America to bring revival, and boy, God used him. He came with $300 in his pocket. And that was from, and he had a friend of mine Wayman Rogers, Bob Rogers' dad, who gave him a credit card, and that's how he lived. He came to Maui, and he would preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday through Friday, morning and evening, and then Sunday, the following Sunday. Well, he would do something in the service that was quite unusual. He'd, lie, he'd say, how many of you want to get touched by God? So he'd line them up. How many were there? Anybody? In, you were there. And uh, he'd line them all up. You were there, weren't you guys there? He'd line them all up. And he'd just touch them like that, say, be filled. Bang, they'd fall out, they'd fall out, fall out, fall out. People, uh, you know, people would cry. People would laugh. People would run around the building. I remember one night I couldn't find any of my pastors. They were all out under the power, under chairs somewhere. And on Friday night, just before the service, 
We were in my back office. He said, you know, I'm going to have you pray for people. I thought, well, that's cool. What I thought he meant was that he was going to pray for people, and I would be a sidekick. You know, I'd, I'd stand with him. He'd lay hands on him, and they'd fall out, and I'd go, whoa. You know, and, <laughs> because here's what happened. I would be sitting on the front. I didn't feel a single thing the entire week. I didn't feel a thing. My wife, she'd be sitting next to me, and all of a sudden, she'd fall out under the power. She would crumble on the floor and begin to cry. And she would be overwhelmed every night. I'd carry her to the car. I'd never seen my wife like that. I mean, she was a basket case. I'm just sitting there, didn't feel a thing. People would get up and testify, and they couldn't talk. It'd fall out. I said, well, that's cool. That's cool. I guess I don't need it. I'm so powerful. Right. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the front row. Service now is coming to a conclusion. He lines everybody up. I mean, we're talking hundreds. And hundreds. The cathedral is packed. And it's... Hundreds are lined up, ready to get touched by God. And then he makes this announcement. He says, I'm not going to pray for anybody tonight. Pastor Morocco is going to pray for everybody. I thought, this is the end of my ministry. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I said, I'm going to lay hands on them. Nothing's going to happen. And they go, is that it? I said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, it freaked me out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I ought to go up there and slug him or watch. You know, I just... And so I slowly get up to the stage, and they're already lined up. You know, when you're in that position, you just do what you're supposed to do. If it's the end, it's the end. <laughs> so I'm walking down the stairs. They're all lined up. There was a lady here in the center, and I reached my hand out to touch her. I never touched her. My hand was about a half a foot away from her head. And the power of God hit her, and she literally flew. I went, whoa. <laughs> and, and then something happened to me. You know, this weight came on me. It's like a mantle. My knees buckled. My heart started to palpitate. I thought I was going to die of a heart attack. You know, people say, oh. I want to feel your glory. No, you don't. It'll kill you. The very word glory means weight. And I felt it. And I didn't know what to do. I thought I was going to die. So I ran. I ran this way. And as I ran, people fell out under the power. All I remember is Rodney saying, Ah, oh, sure, because they were falling so fast, there was nobody to catch them. At the end of that row, I went up on the stage. I was so overwhelmed. I laid my head on Rodney's shoulder, and I said, I quit. <laughs> Don't say that to a South African. My wife said, I've never seen you like that. I said, I've never been like that. <laughs> I, I was overwhelmed. He got two pastors. They grabbed both arms. He said, take him to the next row. Same thing happened. And then I quit again. And then Rodney came and You know how people try to put breath back in you? He's pumping on me like this. You know, I thought I was going to die there. I got up. Finally, I got to the final row. They were lined up from restroom to restroom. Women's restroom on this side, men's restroom on the other. They were lined up and they were falling out like It's just, you know, I didn't push them. I don't believe in pushing people. And many of them I didn't even touch. And the last one, just amazing. It was a lady, and she didn't fall backwards. She fell frontwards. And she hit the men's restroom wall when she fell frontwards. And uh, about a week later, oh, and I turned like this to go back. And the, the, the guys holding me fell backwards. They said it was like a wind knocked them over. I walked down the aisle. Most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. A lady sitting right where you were shot up like a rocket and twirled in the air. And I'm going, whoa, what's that? She said, when you walked by, it was like a wind that took me. 
I'd never experienced power like Well, a week later, I was in a minister's meeting in Honolulu. And a pastor comes up to me. I, I, I don't know who in the world he was. He was from some unusual denomination. I don't know. He said, do you remember me? And I said, no. I hate it when people say that. <laughs> he said, I was there on Friday night. That was the night I was laying hands on. I said, you were? What happened to you? He said, oh. He said, I was in the restaurant. <laughs> True story. And he said something in the restroom. You never say in a Holy Ghost meeting like that. He said, I want to feel your power. It was at that moment that woman hit the wall. The power of God went through that wall, knocked him off his feet. He's laying on the floor. I remember distinctly when I walked by the restroom door, I saw two feet on the floor. <laughs> and ushers running in to put him back together to carry him out. It was that pastor. And that night I realized something that I had never known before. When Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. I knew what they meant. I knew what they meant. The power of God so great that you cannot contain. We've never been the same. I've never been the same. The Spirit of the Lord is present right now. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands. Begin to praise him like you should.